Welcome to episode 253 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. If you like Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, I hope you leave a five-star rating and a comment. Your ratings and comments help new people find this show. But you know what? Even better, if you know someone that you think will like the show, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I know told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And you can find the website with the archive of all 253 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby. And my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is actor, improviser, career coach, and Canadian Comedy Award winner, Ken Hall. Ken is currently appearing as Herb in the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. Now, now when did you guys wrap Umbrella Academy Season 2? Yeah, we wrapped uh, back in the fall, the end of November-ish. Okay, okay. So before, it wasn't even really close to all of this. Oh, no, no. This, <laughs> no, this wasn't anywhere on anyone's radar. No. no. It's amazing how, how fast things have changed and just uh, since we wrapped end of November, start of December to, to March. I mean, that was mm. a really short period of time. but Yeah, and it's it's like we live in a different world now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in in season one, you were the the physical representation on set of of Pogo on the Umbrella Academy, which means that you yourself were not seen, and they didn't even they didn't use your voice. Um, but in season two, you you're yourself, you're you're seen. You you aren't the monkey. Um, how did that come about? That you went from just the 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 the, the stand-in in season one, and then a, a, a physical presence and role in season two. Yeah, I uh, it's all very serendipitous in a lot of ways. So for season one, um, I got to do the motion capture playing the body of Pogo from basically the shoulders down, and it was Adam Godley, uh, his voice and basically his face as well uh, for Pogo, and I think that basically that. Uh, I put a lot of work into it. So I knew going into it that it, it wouldn't be my voice, uh, but I, I wanted to really show up. And that means like being prepared and, and ready to give it. And and because this character didn't exist uh, beforehand, there was such a, a, a cool learning curve and a, a lot of discovery for me to embody Pogo and for me to show up on set and to play off the actors I had my own version and my voice of Pogo 
and all the mannerisms and and such. And so I, I think that they saw that that I would show up and I'd fully embody Pogo and be that character and play off of the uh, off the leads, for example. And and about halfway through shooting first season. Uh, that's when my agent reached out to me and she's like, yeah, they, they want to offer you like an actual like speaking role. It's a small role, but would you be interested? And I'm like, absolutely, of course. And so in uh, season one, uh, episode six, uh, that's when we first see Herb, uh, who's an analyst and, and who works as part of the commission. And so we got a little sneak, uh, a sneak peek of, of Herb. And I remember talking to the showrunner uh, a week or two after that and he was it was it was a very very small part um and uh getting to play off kate walsh who plays the handler and this sort of cat and mouse dynamic she's super high status and herb is a bit sort of bumbling and and, and awkward uh around around her in particular um but the showrunner steve blackman he was like that was laugh i love funny because I got to improvise some stuff, and that's that's my wheel, my wheelhouse. I, I'm very comfortable with improv and comedy. That's stuff I've been doing for so many years now. Um, and I think it was a combination of again being super prepped and, and doing a really great job is playing Pogo, uh, regardless of whether they're gonna they're you know that they weren't gonna be using my voice. I still showed up ready to ready to jam. And as I said, with the within playing herb and really milking it for all the, the the comedy uh they they um yeah they gave herb a much bigger role this in season two which is lovely yeah now had you done motion capture before no that was my first time wow yeah. um what was what was that like uh, it was cool. It was it was like undiscovered country because I've done a lot of prosthetic work when I when I got first got into doing film and TV like ten like ten years ago or so. Um, I played monsters on on a couple of shows. This one called Freak Encounters and another one uh, called Scare Tactics, which is like so. I I, I was very very used to and comfortable. Um, with prosthetics and I was on a, another show called people of earth for a couple of years. So it was, again, the, I, I, I was very used to that world of like having this sort of plus that, you know, this sort of plasticky, these, these silicone-ish things on my face and, and, and acting around that. So the motion capture work was just a, a different dynamic because you're given a motion capture suit, which is like made to fit your body. So it's very comfortable. And uh, and it's again, it's like looking at movements and Pogo in particular was a really cool opportunity and a great first experience because I, I really got to um, play an animal. So he's mm -hmm. a, a talking and walking chimpanzee, but he's also personified. So he's got these very human-like qualities to him as well. And and the other the other really cool thing, which is a bit of a curveball, was that he's uh, he's elderly too. So he walks with a cane. And so I had mm -hmm. to incorporate all of those characteristics and mannerisms and such. And, uh, and it was a great challenge. It, I did a lot of research with my acting coach before that and watching like youtube videos of just how do chimpanzees move and having to walk that line between he's not he is obviously still a chimpanzee but he has very human-like qualities but we don't want him to be too human and we don't want him to be too chimpanzee so it was it was a neat thing to try and split the difference um and it was lovely because it was it was just 
I got to, to jam with him for about six months and getting into that physicality, even especially near the end, there was, it was, it was comforting. Actually, there was hmm. it felt good to embody that character and, and to walk, uh, you know, with the cane sort of hunched over and such. There was a, uh, I really, I really love Pogo. He's a, a very, for me, I think he's a very endearing character. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was, it was a good, it was a, a cool challenge in some ways, a lot easier because there wasn't any prosthetics. <laughs> I like, yeah. Yeah. I, I only met like the hair and makeup people, like, as I said, like three months in when, when I got to do Herb, because <laughs> and I'm like, I just get dressed in my motion capture suit and I'm ready to go. Uh, so it was, it was, it was, cool. it was a, a nice change. And, and what I love about this field of acting is that you get to try all this kind of stuff and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's like a giant buffet of experiences and, and, uh, and, and I loved that it was not just a day or two, it was a real immersive experience that I got to, to play in for a good six months. One of the things that's that's kind of interesting is I'm sort of like looking at, you know, your website and things like that. But if you go, if I go to like IMDB, the first thing that comes up for you is you as Jeff the Grey. Um, so it's not really even like your face. It's like a, a strange gray alien. But if you've done a lot of like creatures and monsters, I guess that's sort of like the price you pay. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I feel very grateful that I've had the opportunity to play all those monsters. It was a nice way to to get film and TV experience of what it's like to be on a set, what it's like to, you know, be in hair and makeup for five hours, you know, for a prosthetic build. Mm-hmm. And uh, into the opportunities to get to play Jeff the Grey was just amazing. I mean, to work with the caliber of people that I got to work with. And even though it's not my, you know, <laughs> people can't physically recognize me walking down the street and be like, hey, you're Jeff the Grey. There's been uh-huh. times where people have recognized me through my voice. Ah, which I just yeah. find it so amazing. I was in Unionville with my uh, with my partner at the time, and, and this guy came up to me. He's like, "Dude, are you Jeff the Gray?" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you know. And, and so, yeah, I just heard it from my voice, and uh, he's like, "I thought it was you." So that was that's really neat. <laughs> so there's an anonymity, yeah. Well, so I, I don't get you know. <laughs> um, throngs of people chasing me down the street not that they would do that anyway but uh we're not known for that in canada yeah, so not much in canada anyway yeah exactly uh, <laughs> I, I i i was going to ask like have you been recognized for for herb yet but we're still in <laughs> covid time so it's not like ever you're out on the street and uh, as much as one might have been in the past yeah it's only it's actually happened to me once last week uh, i went to the bank and I had to do some stuff. And one of the tellers was just like, hey, Umbrella Academy. Uh, <laughs> that's not so bad. That's not so bad. It's and it's not, not a, it's not a particularly invasive recognition either. No, no. <laughs> I, I don't mind. I, lo- I love the recognition. And I'm, I'm kind of curious. I was riding my bike the other day. And someone just looked at me. And this guy kind of smiled. And, and, and I'm like, I, I don't know why. But I'm like, <laughs> it looks like he sort of recognized me perhaps from something. And I'm like, I wonder if you see him. I wonder, I wonder if he's an umbrella. Uh, umbrella. Well, I mean, the Umbrella Academy has its, you know, I mean, it's in its second season. The first season obviously did well enough to bring it back for a second season. I mean, I was looking forward to it. I'm not done yet, so no spoilers, please. How far far are you into it? um, I just finished the episode where we meet the Resistance. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, lovely. Okay, so you're you're getting there. You're. Best- I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But uh, <laughs> it was uh, there were some. I I thought that that uh, having having Herb do some uh, some fanboying uh, was was a was a nice touch. Um, <laughs> have have, I mean. Was it obvious at the end of the the first season that it would come back for a second? Were you were you sure of that? Oh no, I mean, I I'm never sure of it. Mm. <laughs> I'm never sure of anything. To be honest, when I like when I book something, I'm never sure of it until I'm physically on set doing the work. Then I actually might be like, this may be happening, <laughs> but uh, apart from that, there's just so many variables, um, and that's the thing about working. In film and TV, there's so much stuff that happens that's out of your out of your hands. Mm. Um, People of Earth got picked up for a third season. We had ten episodes ready to go, and then not too um, like far off from going to camera, that's when we got the word of like, sorry, it's not going to happen. Um, so, mm. again, there's so many just moving parts, and and as an actor, I'm not involved in that decision making process for me, I'd be like, <laughs> I, I say to people, I'm like, that wasn't my decision mm. <laughs> and people of earth. I'm like, I would love to just keep going. Um, but I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, uh, decision people that, that make those, that make those calls. I'm hoping yeah. that, that there is another season that there's a, that has a long life to it. I think that it is such a unique show of like such a giant world and, and yeah, for me, it just feels that it appeals to everyone. It's not even one particular genre. It's it like it touches on drama and, and comedy and and action and superheroes and like family dynamics and like romance and and current you know current issues that that we're all experiencing. You know, like Black Lives Matter, for example, and LGBTQ. Like it's 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 amazing just what um, what like the degree of storytelling is is so cool and uh, so I, I feel like there's you know in like time traveling like there's there is there is nothing but more story to tell and, and more experiences to to show so um i'm 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 loving the fact that people are really digging it i'm really digging it i think it's a great show even if i was not on the show i would <laughs> recommending the show because it's so good it's so mm-hmm. good and i think people could i think that's why people are like really responding to it so yeah yeah absolutely a lot more story to tell i, I hope yeah mm-hmm. now um i would like to talk a little bit about your your theater origin story we all come into this business through through different things so what is it that made you want to get into acting yeah i it's it it's it's a great origin story because like where i'm at in my life right now i, I know where i was in my teens and twenties. And it's just so it's a complete 180 from where, uh, from where I came from. And, uh, I'll kind of condense and give you the Coles notes version, uh, of that. <clears throat> but in essence, uh, in my late twenties, uh, I quit drinking and I was, I, I played drums in a punk band and I didn't work in my twenties and I, I was on disability and, and uh, it was not a not a good time for me and, and hadn't really been a good time for me for quite a long time. And uh, I was looking to make some big changes in my life uh, in addition to the quitting drinking. So I graduated high school and I went into college and I did a social service worker program. Um, I've always liked the idea of helping people. 
And uh, I, I'm like, okay, maybe I can revisit that. So I volunteered at a youth shelter here in, in Toronto, basically in Scarborough, which is uh, uh, sort of uh, greater Toronto area. And I did that for about a year, but it was still, it was too front line for me. It was, and it was heavy. And, um, you know, I was, again, still trying to figure myself out. And I'm like, I don't think this is such a good fit for me. Um, I ended up working at HMV. Uh, and, and I love, always love music and movies and things like that. And I guess the thing then in that, in, in my life around that time was to try things. And I had no frame of reference really. Cause I'm like, I, I don't, I didn't really do a lot of extra. I didn't do any extracurricular activities and I didn't really have any hobbies to speak of, um, drinking <laughs> and partying was kind of like my hobby, but, uh, it uh, had less, you know, sort of less returns uh, as the years going by. And so um, long story short, I was writing some family in Britain. I was writing letters and, and such to a couple of cousins, my aunt and uncle and such. And I, I was loving it. Uh, it was the first time I connected with them in a really, really long time. And they were really digging my letters. And they're like, oh, you're really funny. And, and that kind of encouragement was really neat. And so I really enjoyed it. So I, I, I signed up for some creative writing night school classes here through the Toronto District School Board. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, wow, this is, I'm a creative person. And I ran into this world of writing short stories. And for the first time in my life, really seeing myself in a very different way than I had, uh, again, all throughout my, my teens and 20s. And I, so I did that for about two years. And at that end, I was like, I want to do something else. So in addition to, I still like the creative writing, but I feel like there's something else that I wanted to do. And I just wasn't quite sure what that was. So I went through the course calendar of the, the Toronto Six School Board, their night school classes. And going through it, I landed on the theater page and I saw beginner's drama and I got so scared and so excited at the same time. And this weird out-of-body experience, I can still see myself filling out the application the night before registration was going to end and just literally on a whim i'm like i'm going to do this i'm taking a giant risk and i'm but it felt good it felt like a the right thing to do at that time and i never did any drama or anything like that mm. in 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 high school growing up so then I, I did a beginner's drama class and i loved it and i was terrified the whole time it was so scary this idea of putting myself out there i grew up my whole entire life, I've always been afraid of people and I've always mm. been, um, people have looked at me. We've talked earlier about like people recognizing me, mm. um, but <laughs> growing up, people would look at me and react to me and I'm four, seven and three quarters. So I'm pretty mm. small and I have major scoliosis. And so I look different than right. most people and uh, people have made comments over the years and bullying and and just led to feel that these differences were not good things. And so that's why I wanted to hide from the world and, and never felt comfortable really around people. Um, and so stepping into this world of acting, putting myself out there was such a gigantic um, paradigm shift of like, what if that very thing that you're afraid of, what if you <laughs> lean more into that? Um, and it wasn't so crystal clear. It certainly wasn't clear as that. It was just like, this is so much fun. This is actually even more fun than drinking. And yeah. I, don't, I don't have a hangover from doing this. In fact, it's really good. And I'm connecting with other people. And that class in particular, I remember it was so wonderful. Uh, there was uh, someone who worked at like the uh, Pickering Nuclear Power Plant. There was um, 
a, a woman from India who uh, English was a second language. And I remember doing this scene like uh, of like proposing to her and she just laughed and laughed and I couldn't stop laughing. And like that happens a lot in improv scenes. Uh, people propose, but that was like my first proposal scene. <laughs> and, and because I was so young and she was much older and it was it was such a great moment. And it was filling me with wonderful um, positive experiences and, and connection and spontaneity. And, and those are so many things that I had missed in my life. And as an adult, um, you know, I lived a, a very serious life. And uh, yeah. all of my friends growing up were, were on the fringes. And so that's how I feel like I can really identify with people that are like the underdogs or people that have experienced poverty and racism and and uh, discrimination and, and mental health and, and such. And, and growing up, people always confided in me. And I, I think I was always a good listener, um, wanted to listen and wanted to be empathetic to people. And so those kind of experiences, it was a bit of a flip side to do performance of like, we get to play pretend, so mm. we get to have fun. And, and that was, as I said, something that had been missing in my life. So I, I did that class and I didn't even tell anyone until about halfway through. I wanted to keep it secret because mm. it didn't, it was so fragile. I was like incubating this and I didn't want anyone to poke any fun or to say anything. I was very um, scared that somehow this could be taken away. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I, I found something that was unique to me and that was so, um, so special. And, um, and then I, I signed up to do an intermediate class, but not enough people sign up for it. And so someone in that class is like, hey, you're pretty good, man. You should go to Second City. In Second City, the one that we have here in Toronto and Chicago and L.A., it's like the world's largest school of improvisation and sketch comedy. And I, I grew up watching SCTV. Both me and my brother loved SCTV. I mean, we could quote a million of their episodes and something mm. like Eugene Levy. I mean, oh just wonderful Martin Short and Catherine Hare and, you know, Andrew Martin, like it's such a, such, like Rick Moranis. I mean, the list goes on John Candy, of course. And, um, and, uh, that made a huge impression for me. And I always loved comedy, but I was again, too scared and didn't even think that that would be, I grew up in Etobicoke, which is a suburb of Toronto. And you don't grow up in Etobicoke thinking that you're going to step into a world of comedy. Um, <laughs> like it's just like, it's a bit of a disconnect. If I grew up in Hollywood, maybe I'd be like, Hey, wait a minute, this is a possibility, mm -hmm. but not a time ago. Um, but I was so happy that I found this world. And then I, I started taking classes at second city. That was about 16 years ago, I think. Uh, <laughs> and I just never stopped. And that was it. I found it. And I was like, this is such a giant, these are giant pieces of this puzzle that I've been trying to fit together my whole entire life. And now things start to make a little bit more sense. And it still feels a bit like a fever dream, to be honest, because uh, there was a lot of resistance. Even though I loved the classes, there was still a part of me that wanted to keep me safe, that felt yeah. like it was protecting me. So the idea of, of like, you could just stay home, just stay here and play Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> and, you know, it was it was predictable, but it was it was um, I was unhappy. Uh, and I I know that feeling of risking and the exhilaration that goes along with that. And there's usually a reward that comes from it. And I realized early on in my level eight class, actually, that, you know, the theories of improvisation of yes, anding, 
you know, being open, saying yes to people's offers and collaborating with others. Because my default in life was to say no, because I was, mm. I was always afraid. So I'm like, no, I don't want to try this. And uh, it was a way to protect myself. I realize that now. Um, but it, it also, I realized during my level eight class, I'm like, wait a minute, I've been, I'm, I've been saying no mm. to possible things that have could have changed my life in a good way. And uh, now learning improvisation, the tools of improv, I find spill into, into your day-to-day -day life. And so, as I said, my default of saying no changed to starting to say yes to things. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting, very, very interesting. Because early on, I'm like, wow, this is like, I remember one of my, one of my friends in my level A class, she was like, hey, do you want to go, do you want to go for some sushi? And uh, my old Ken would be like, no, I don't. Because I was very, mm. fun. even with food, I was scared of food. I was scared of mm -hmm. trying different foods. Like, so then I'm like, begrudgingly like, okay, I will say yes. <laughs> and then I went and I had sushi <laughs> this time. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> and so I started to, to try other foods. She, uh, my friend took me to uh, a Moroccan restaurant, an Ethiopian restaurant. Like, and I was like, this is great. And so those experiences, I was like, wow. And that's it. I give, ex I have experiences now. I have, I have these very satisfying, very affirming moments and and so that's how i i my my default of saying no quickly turned into saying yes mm -hmm. and and i realized that that was just something that i just wanted to keep doing and i wanted to have i just wanted to to play pretend i wanted to have these experiences and with no intention of like here i come hollywood and <laughs> netflix didn't exist like you know, yeah. i didn't even have a cell phone back in those days mm. you know, like um that's how much things have changed in in, yeah. in that time and and i saw my, myself change and i was learning the skills of improvisation but and it was fun it was really just solid wholesome fun but at the same time in a bigger way i think i was really learning more about me mm. and i was practicing that i was my own training center <laughs> in a sense uh and it just felt good and i, I you know i i started working in career counseling and as a career counselor, you try and guide people and help people uncover what your values are and what's important to you and where your passions are and your skills and your strengths and all of that. And I was realizing that this world that I found, this world of improv, the people in it were so lovely and so accepting. There was no judgmental. It was like people were coming up to me like after a scene, and they're like, you're really funny. Or that was really good when you did this. And... Mm -hmm. And that for the first time, I think, in an incredibly long time, because I had no, I had nothing in my 20s. There was no real positive feedback in that sense, you know. And, mm -hmm. and so this was, a, again, just another opportunity to be affirmed of, like, you being you is a good thing. And, mm -hmm. and, and so that's it. I, I just really um, fell in love with it and, and realized how much I can change as a person by just simply doing an improv class. Yeah. You mentioned uh, early on that you were flipping through that, that the course calendar uh, and, 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 and the feeling that you had when you came across the theater page, the, the anticipative combination of, of fear and excitement. Yeah. Um, I often find, and it's, it's one of those things that's, that's, that's difficult to make yourself do again, you tend to say no to it. The thing that scares you, but also excites you yeah. sometimes the frightening you overshadows 
the excitement and it can be really easy to say no, but it's important to listen to the yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's right. Like I love teaching adults. I teach a lot here in Toronto and a lot of uh, adult improv theaters, second city, bad dogs, social capital, the assembly and such. And one of my favorite things is like, again, helping adults to reconnect with the younger side and helping them to, to reframe situations rather than, because again, as adults, we get very serious and we get very, very into this fixed mindset of like, did I do a good job? Did I do a bad job? And, yeah. uh, and, and a lot of the times we, people put up their own obstacles of like, no, I can't do it. <laughs> or this is mm. going to work for these reasons. That's easier to do that. It's easier to find conflict. It's easier to, to criticize. I think it's a braver and stronger move to practice allowing and be like, well, what if, what if this can happen? And yeah. for me, I'm like, again, I just lived it. Of like, I lived, <laughs> what happens when you continually say no to things and no to possibilities in your life? Nothing mm. changes. And mm. I thought for a long time that, you know, that, that idea of like change was a bad thing and resistant to change. <laughs> and it's like, mm. everything is always changing all the time. Nothing remains the same. It's always changing. And the more that you can, be cool with that the more that you can get comfortable with being uncomfortable with the fact that everything is changing all the time then there's there's a there's there's a, a nice comfort within that there's a paradox within that and there because it's satisfying you're like okay great i'm actually what if i if i, I flip all my no's to yeses and of course sometimes in life we need to have a no we need to set boundaries we need to be like uh, you know, I will not rob the bank with you. You know, like I will say no to that. <laughs> um, that no could be a very great thing, you know, but at the same time, it's to realize whenever you say no and when are you saying yes to things. And just as you, you're saying, Phil, like, is it through fear? Are you saying no from a place of fear? Um, and if there it is, I just think it's like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I know there's that part that wants us to preserve us and it's risky, but at the same time, I'm realizing I'm like, Life is too short to keep saying no to things and, and to leaning into those those very things that scare us. I've talked to people that have done skydiving and they're like, oh man, uh, improv is very much mm -hmm. like skydiving for them. They have that. And I've never skydived, <laughs> but I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I, I, I see that parallel. And, but there's just, there's so much more to be gained, I think, from saying yes to leaning into that fear, to experience that fear without putting judgment on that. Now you've taken, uh, you've done pretty much every major festival that I could see. You've done, it looks like all the major Canadian fringe festivals, the Edinburgh fringe and so many other sketch, uh, fringe. was that with a two man, no show, or was that with a variety of projects? Um, uh, it, it, mostly it's probably with the two man, no show with, uh, me and my best friend and comedy partner, Isaac Kessler. Uh, we formed 11 years ago as a duo for the Toronto Fringe Festival, never really playing as a duo before. And uh, Isaac got in and he was like, hey, do you want to do a show together? I'm like, okay, great. And about a month before we opened, we had no show. <laughs> so we're like, let's be honest about that. We don't have a show. So, <laughs> And two days before we opened, we really didn't have much of a show. We had a skeleton of a show. And our background is in improv. And so <laughs> um, a lot of our shows were like, we had, a, we had an idea of where we wanted mm. to go, but the dialogue would change. And, and so we would often, you know, say a joke. And if it doesn't land with the audience, if it doesn't work, we're like, okay, let's try another one, you know, because the audience is different and we're different and we're just so green to performing. Like we, uh, 
uh, we were learning very much as we went along, but that first show did incredibly well. We got, you know, five ends uh, from Now Magazine, which is the local weekly publication here that everyone really goes goes by. And uh, we got critics pick and patrons pick awards and, uh, <clears throat> and sold out most of our run. So then we just started talking afterwards and we're like, hey, people seem to really dig our style and, and it's very physical. It's very, you know, breaking the fourth wall. It's very clown based. It's very improv. Uh, and uh, so that's that's when we started to, to play all these festivals, which culminated in, in 2010, us going to Edinburgh and we did 25 shows there uh, for the month of August. And yeah. that was an experience. And, you know, so it's, uh, and but I've also done like some, uh, tangential fringes, whether it be a solo show or with other like improvisers, for example. Um, but the prime, the primary stuff is me, me and Isaac. We've we love like playing festivals and we love bringing our stuff to uh, to an audience. And we were in Sarasota, Florida last year, uh, which was a really cool experience. We had two forty-five minute sets, just purely improv. But our mm -hmm. version of improv is very different because we're very clown-based. So we're like, <laughs> and when I got to Florida, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. There was a lot of older people in Florida that uh, may not <laughs> really appreciate our absurdist, huh. you know, clown-based humor. But that being said, we we really did a great job of endearing ourselves to the audience and to win people over. And we actually heard from the festival producer afterwards that it, again, you know, with all the politics that's happening in the world and especially in America and Florida, um, we brought people together and. and mm that's a lovely feeling to be like, okay, we're helping people with our unique brand of clown prov off the wall, absurdist stuff. We bring the play and we bring the fun and that's for everyone. It's accessible for everyone. But um, yeah, so we've, you know, we played all over and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a thrill to get to play with my best friend and also get to travel the world as well. It's mm. quite lovely. You know, whenever I hear about the people mention the Edinburgh Fringe, they talk about, you know, doing it for a month. And I keep thinking, I find doing a Canadian Fringe Festival, like six, seven shows in like 10 days to be exhausting. <laughs> I can't imagine doing a show every day for 25 days. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Good God. It was, I mean, it was really, you know, it was very hubris on our part to be like, <laughs> to go to the biggest comedy festival in the world <laughs> literally only a, just over a year there would be it would have been 13 months that we'd been a duo and we're like we're gonna take our show there and and, and uh but what an experience yeah it was, it's a grind 25 shows so you're doing a show mm. we had a late night show too we had a our, our show was at 11 45 every night Ooh. um and uh the average audience and audience is four people because there's three there's three thousand plus shows that are happening yeah. simultaneously so how do you stand out like that, that uh -huh. we we uh we were above the average we i think we averaged about maybe 20 people um most nights and so that that's great and but our show is very polarizing and we our thing was like uh, either you like us or you don't like us. And mm. so I remember this one show and for whatever reason, Wednesdays was not a good day. Wednesdays, <laughs> people were like, there was, I don't know, middle of the week, people were kind of like disgruntled and like, well, you know, what are you doing at a show at 1145? <laughs> Let's be serious. You know, that's on us. That's on us. Um, but I remember this one show, we get the entire front row got up <laughs> and walked out. Oh my God. <laughs> There's these sort of younger guys, you know, guys in their twenties kind of thing. They just had these beers and they're just like, <laughs> and like here in Canada, because we're like so conscious of like 
of other people's feelings and stuff. Yeah. You know, like, so that would be like, you just never would, we would suffer it out. We would be like, well, you know, we'll possibly leave at an intermission, you know, if <laughs> with apologies and, you know, like, but this good, there was like, they, they got up and it was the, more of a discussion of like, yeah, so, you know, <laughs> like there was no subtlety whatsoever. Um, that was Edinburgh. I mean, that was, uh, <laughs> that was a great experience, right? And it's part and parcel of it. But, you know, again, we're not locked into a script, so we get to play with this, right? Yeah. We get to play with the yeah. whole act, you know, and I'm sure we offered other people be like, does anyone else want to leave? You know, like, <laughs> we can help you out, you know? <laughs> right? The, I mean, the thing about, about Edinburgh is, you know, you mentioned the 3,000, 3,000 other shows. Yeah. And if you've done just regular Canadian fringe fringe festivals, mm-hmm. you are completely unprepared because you can't promote against 3,000 shows by just going to lines and saying, can I tell you about my show? That doesn't work there. <laughs> yeah, we, well, I mean, we hired a producer and hiring that producer got us a place to stay uh, about three minutes, the two, three minute walk from our venue, which was lovely. Uh, our venue was actually at one of the better venues, a, a very well-known venue called the Gilded Balloon. Um, and also that money helped to hire a flyer team. And so it wasn't just me and Isaac. And we were pretty tired by mm. that because we had toured a lot of other festivals. So, you know, we did a tiny bit of flyering, but the sort of magic of flyering was like, we're kind of done with that. And we're hiring a flyer team. But, that's, you know, it's it, there is a there is a way to do it. Um, and I, I, you know, it's it's I, I kind of like it in a weird way. It's almost, it's a bit masochistic. Uh, and it's like that first thing of like, you see a line, like 300 people lining up, not to see your show, but to see someone else's show. <laughs> and you're like, okay, here we go. Just suck it up. And then you're like, hi, you know, I'm, my name's Ken. I, I'm playing this show and da, da, da. And then he's just like early on, you just start talking with people and you start to make them laugh. And mm. people are, I think most, mostly are like actually pretty receptive to it. They're like, oh, oh, okay. Well, tell us about mm. your show. And I, I, I think that's the strategy. Instead of just blankly handing up, you know, yeah. uh, billing audiences, uh, there, there's no interest, there's no connection. So, you know, it's just that getting over the initial self-consciousness, getting over the initial shyness, and then you just get to chat with people. And then you get to chat with 300 people. And by the end of it, you're like, you're on a roll, you know? Mm. It's that, it's that thing of, you know, it's when you're like, oh, I got to go to a party. Oh, I don't, I just don't feel like talking to anyone today. I just <laughs> stay home. But then you go to the party and you're like, what? Well, you have such a great time. And you're like, <laughs> you're like yeah. the last person to leave. Yeah. You know, that party. So that, that's what it is. But so there is a bit of a, a, you know, there's a bit of an art to, to promoting shows and such. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't, that's something that I've developed over the last several years. And I don't yeah. think I had that down in, in in Edinburgh at all, but no. uh, it was a great experience. Um, just as we sort of start to move towards wrapping up, I'm curious. Like one of the, we were all in strange situations with the coronavirus and quarantine and all of that stuff. Um, what was your situation at the time that everything sort of shut down, and how have you been weathering the storm, so to so to speak? Yeah, I so in uh, early to mid March, I was actually performing at an improv festival in Cape Town, South Africa, and uh, so even uh, and I, I flew from Toronto to Zurich, Switzerland. Had about twelve hours there, 
Uh, but even then the writing was on the wall, the talking to an Uber driver, they're like, yeah, there's hardly, you know, not a lot of people around. So mm. things were starting to, to get bad in Europe. And then even when I got to Cape Town, I think I got to Cape Town on like the Tuesday or the Wednesday and by the end of the festival. So the last night of the festival, um, I got back to my apartment that I was staying at and I got an email from my dad and he was saying, yeah, the Canadian government is now asking all Canadians abroad to come home while you still can. And I'm mm. like, oh, okay, well, uh, that's it. I was going to actually do a safari, a three night safari after the festival in less than 12 hours, I would have been on a plane flying to the other side of South Africa. Hmm. uh to do uh to do a safari with uh, with my friends but when i saw that i'm like okay well that's the decision made for me and then we ended up kind of scrambling for f flights to get back and uh so thankfully i got back to toronto thinking like okay we're in a quarantine everything's gonna be good in about 14 days all right we'll see you later <laughs> i mean we all thought we all basically thought that you know yeah. in a month this will all be blown over i could use the downtime i'm tired yeah. i like and it was just like no i the writing was on the wall that this is going to be something you know more long term and such and it was hard it was such a hard transition coming back that first week and being like i didn't do anything that first week i think it was a bit kind of stunned, you know, as we all were, uh, as it was quarantine, I didn't leave my house, uh, in seven days. And I, I watched a lot of war documentaries and I was so upset. It was not a good, not a good, uh, not a good thing. And, um, but I think we all had to kind of go through a process. And, um, for me, I did about, I started teaching a little bit, uh, second city, um, uh, transitioned all of their in-person classes to doing stuff online. And so that was a learning curve to wrap my head around this technology and being like, can I, can I've never taught, uh, you know, online like zoom and Google hangouts and trying to learn all this stuff. So it was a, a bit of a, it was a learning curve for sure. Um, what I've been doing over the last two and a half months or so, about three months ago, I guess I put up on my social media that, I wanted to help people. And as I said, I worked in the field of career counseling. I did that for about 10 years. And I know with COVID that, you know, people got laid off, got furloughed, lost their jobs. Um, so I wanted to put out, I wanted to do something. I wanted to help out people. And I, I really like helping. And if I can't be on a stage making other people laugh, then um, I, I reflected, I'm like, well, I've got these skill sets. So you know, I, I can really maybe help some people. So I put it out on my social media that I was offering free employment counseling or donation only employment counseling. If people needed help with their resumes or cover letters or interviews or career transitions and things like that. And so a lot of people actually uh, reached out to me. And so that's really what I've been doing for the past two and a half months solidly. I've just been, my days are spent on in Zoom meetings, uh, mm. doing career counseling with people and and I, it's been, uh, in a lot of ways, it's been really wonderful because I really like helping people. I like making a difference. And um, uh, and a lot of people are in an interesting place of making some big changes, I think, in their lives. And what they've done up until now maybe can continue in the same way. And so people are kind of uh, this this whole collective like um, uh, experience where it's like, okay, what you knew before is not happening. Mm. And so I think 
those distractions i know for myself as a performer like doing multiple shows a week teaching you know multiple classes like there's always stuff that fills our time but now within this like again self-isolating um or social distancing and, and such there that i think people have been sitting with their thoughts and feelings a whole lot more and going deeper and perhaps giving themselves an opportunity for introspection and being like wait a minute the things i'm actually doing i'm not really happy with this so mm -hmm. maybe i want to make some changes and maybe now is a good opportunity to make some changes so as i said i've, I've been doing that uh, a lot and and even with my own self it's kind of like what do i want to do and what am i doing with my life and mm -hmm. what, what gives me more meaning what gives me more of an opportunity if i can't physically you know, be around people in the same way that I was before. Um, <clears throat> what can I do to keep that connection? What can I, you know, what can I continue to do to, you know, to keep my creativity uh, going? And, and I, I've been very lucky and I'm, I'm very grateful for my experiences. I've been able to teach a lot and, uh, you know, and, and again, doing the coaching uh, has been, has been uh, sort of a silver lining, I think. And, um, yeah, uh, that's that's what I've been doing, and that's how it, it was for me. And it's still kind of like yeah, it's know, a pretty interesting situation so that people days, are finding you know? themselves in. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and and there, there isn't any end date. There's not like okay, um, November, you know, November first, we're good. See, see you then, kind of thing. It's 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 still murky and it's still uncertain. Um, I think generally where we are in Toronto, we're at stage three. So things are starting to open up and, and such. So, um, there's, there, you know, and I always want to be an optimist. Uh, I, I, I want to be real, but I also want to be an optimist as well. And for me, I, I feel that there is, um, that there's always hope and, and, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by what other people are doing and, and, you know, connecting and, and, uh, and, and working on ourselves. And I think maybe for the first time, like finding ways, uh, finding it's, it's been kind of forced, but like finding ways of how we can look after ourselves better. And, uh, and that's something that I'm practicing, you know, kindness with myself and compassion and being like, if I don't feel like doing something today, then I'm going to give myself permission not to do anything, you know? And, um, and, and I think that that's again, kind of like the silver lining within all of this. And so mm -hmm. hopefully we get through this sooner. And I'm glad that Netflix is there. I'm glad Umbrella Academy is there because that's been <laughs> really lovely. I've lived in that world for the past week and I'm like, I love it. Um, nice. So, you know, but that's, I'm, I'm uh, the other cool thing I actually will say too, is that uh, I really enjoy teaching people and not just people in Toronto, but like I've been teaching people like improv drop-ins, for example, I did one a few weeks ago where one person was zooming in from Tel Aviv. And, you know, I've talked with other people who like in, from like Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia and Sydney, Australia as well. And it's just like it's it's quite nice that this is very global. And so if there's classes, if there's experiences that you want to get, it, you don't have to physically necessarily go to these places. You can do that online. And, and so that that's, again, been something that um, has been a bit of a silver lining within this. Ken, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you doing this. I appreciate it, Phil. It was great chatting with you.
This has been a Homebody Productions production.